We can specialize in comebacks and remakes and reissues. But you know what we really need is resurrection life. We, we, don't just, we just don't just need to keep pulling ourselves together and fighting again and battling it out. We don't need to just keep remaking our life and reinventing ourselves and getting another selection of self-help books and, and a yoga mat, right? That's not necessarily the thing that's going to transform your life. The thing that will definitely transform your life is if you can find the humility to submit yourself and position yourself in a place where you can experience the resurrection life of Christ, then you'll be transformed, The challenge is, how do we get in a position where we experience resurrection life? How do we find ourselves there? You know, uh, when we think about Easter, how do you know that that Easter eggs are awesome? And I I usually start eating Easter eggs around about a month before Easter. Uh, And I I love the marshmallow Easter eggs and uh, you eat those and eat eggs, 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 eggs. And then you have hot crust buns sort of in the couple of weeks beforehand. But but really, you you shouldn't really eat the Easter eggs until Sunday. If you do it, if I was designing the food for Easter to make Easter actually make sense, it would just be porridge for a month. And on Good Friday, just dirt. You just eat dirt on Good Friday. Just like just maybe you can make it into pies and bake it, but really you just eat dirt and or chew rocks. Just chew pebbles. Because that's really what Good Friday is about. And then on Sunday, then it would be bacon and eggs, not just eggs, right? It would be a celebration because now we've now we've experienced uh, resurrection life. Really, that's what it should be like. Do you know when Jesus died on Good Friday? Uh, when Jesus died on Good Friday, he wasn't the only one who died. When Jesus hung on the cross, uh, and we can read about it right through uh, in each of the Gospels, it talks about. His time on the cross. But Matthew chapter 27, verse 46, there's this moment, this Good Friday moment, which, which makes me think the menu should be about eating dirt. It should be about chewing pebbles. And we're going to put the scriptures up as best we can uh, as we go. But Matthew chapter 27, 46. Do I, need to, I might turn to it. We've had some problems with our computer, so... Anyhow, Matthew chapter 27, 46. Are you ready? This is the moment on the cross, and Jesus says this. It was the sixth hour until the ninth hour. I don't know what that means. It's the time of the day. And there was darkness all over the land. So it's darkness covering the land. And that about the ninth hour, so it's later in the day in the afternoon, it's actually 3 p.m., Jesus cried out with a loud voice, and he says this, Eli, Eli, lamai bethachini. Uh, this is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When Jesus died on the cross, a good Friday, this is a statement that encapsulates a good Friday feeling. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we reflect that in a menu of lovely hot cross buns. It doesn't really connect for me. It should be more like hot cross dirt buns. Uh, you know, Jordan's Bakery of Mud. Uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Probably the best thing we could possibly do on a, on a Good Friday is fast and, and position ourselves where we think, man, what would that feel like? What does Good Friday feel like? Because when Jesus died on Good Friday, he wasn't the only one who died. You know, there's these characters in the story that I really love. One of them is Peter. Do you know, on Good Friday, Peter died too. 
How many people like Peter in the Bible? He was a fisherman. He was a businessman. He, 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 it looks like from the story that he owned a couple of boats and some other guys worked for him. He was probably the oldest of the disciples. He was sort of a grown person. Uh, possibly he was even older than Jesus. Uh, and uh, Jesus meets Peter and uh, he's fishing. And Jesus says to Peter, come and follow me. Come and be my disciples. And, and Peter and his friends, they leave their nets. They leave their fishing nets behind and they follow Jesus. I don't know if you can imagine what that would be like. To, to just leave your workplace and you just leave your laptop behind. That would be quite a nice feeling. Leave your degree behind, leave your training behind, leave your trade certificates behind, leave your financial prosperity behind, leave your security behind, and just follow Jesus. All these guys who followed Jesus, the 12 who became apostles and others, they were extremists. They made pretty big decisions, and for three years, they followed Jesus. And a, a first century disciple of a Jewish rabbi, when it says, follow me, they literally followed. Like, they followed. So if you go to Israel now and you see a rabbi and his disciples, you might see the rabbi go enter a public toilet, and then you'll see the disciples, time to go to the toilet. They followed. I don't know what, what that would be like to, to, for you to leave aside your whole life and just make Jesus a central focus. And for Peter, it was a big deal. Peter comes up with all these great statements through the Bible, Matthew chapter 16, uh, if we have a look at that. Peter comes up with these, uh, these amazing statements, and, and, and he was one of the first to recognize who Jesus was. Jesus is saying, who do people say that I am? Oh, you're Christ, Son of the living God. And Peter's like, yeah. uh, Peter steps up and says, yeah, that's awesome. And, uh, and, um, and uh, in, in Matthew chapter 16, 24, do you want to throw that up? Matthew 16, 24. Um, they have this conversation, Jesus and Peter, right? And, um, and uh, uh, Jesus predict, predicts his death, right? Peter's just said, oh, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, and, and Jesus says to Peter, oh, man, God's revealed this to you. And Peter's like, wow. This, this, this guy that, Jesus, that Peter decided to follow turns out to be the Son of God. How many know that? That'd be a good feeling. You made a good decision. Yeah, awesome. Puts in perspective the boats and the nets and the fishing business you've left behind, right? And your prosperity. Because, man, the person you're following turns out they're the, the Messiah, the Son of God. They're going to rule and reign as king in Jerusalem. And here you are. You're Peter. You're the right-hand guy. Right? So Peter made a good call, right? Peter made a good decision. Matthew chapter 16, Peter realizes, man, this person I've chosen to follow, made a good I've made a good decision. This person I've chosen to follow is the Son of God, and I am the right-hand man. Jesus is going to rule on the throne, and Peter's going to be Jesus' go-to guy. That'd be awesome, isn't it? Ruling and reigning, right? And then in, in Matthew chapter 14, Jesus says, uh, 16, sorry, Jesus says to Peter in 24, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Do you know, Peter could deny and he could defy anyone. When they came to arrest Jesus, what did Peter do? Peter pulls out the sword. He had, there were two swords. Peter pulls out a sword, and it says that he cuts the ear off someone, which is, you know, I always imagine it's quite a delicate shot to take someone's ear off. But, you know, obviously he was attempting to take someone's whole head off, right? And he managed an ear, and Jesus picked up the ear and heals the person, right? It was 
it's one of those little moments in the Bible. You think, wow. <laughs> here's this Peter here. There's, there's the, the temple guards have arrived to arrest Jesus. And Peter, they've got two swords. The disciples have got two swords. We know that from another part of the Bible. They've got two swords. Peter's got one of them, right? And he swings at someone's face with the sword. That's pretty, you know? Why? Because he's Jesus' right-hand guy. He's the first one to recognize it. They're coming to get Jesus. And he says, in another part of the Bible, Peter says, if everyone else forsakes you, Jesus, I won't. He said that that evening. And then the, the army get there and he swings, half misses. Jesus is like, put the sword away, Peter. He's a fisherman anyway. It's not like... <laughs> Do you know, some of us are like Peter. You know, we're strong, and, and we're, we're crusaders, and we're brave, and we're powerful, but we're ultimately useless. Because the thing that's going to make us useful is the thing that Peter found the hard way. Even though Peter made a promise that even if everyone else leaves you, Jesus, I'll never leave you. But the problem for Peter wasn't whether he would be able to deny Jesus. Whether he would deny Jesus, the question was whether he could deny himself. Because Jesus did said to Peter, come on, if anyone's going to follow me, they've got to take up their cross. They've got to take up their own crucifixion. They've got to deny themselves if they're going to come, if we're going to come after Jesus. So what did Peter do? Peter has a swing at the slave, and then when they take Jesus away, Peter begins to follow. Why? Because he's got this desire. He's already said, if everyone else leaves, I'm never going to leave. That was the moment. He swung at the slave. Everyone else, John, Nathaniel, the rest of them, they're gone into the bush. Right, they take off. All of the hundreds of thousands of disciples just, of Jesus just melt away, and Peter is pursuing God strongly. Gets outside the court. He's standing there. Jesus is on trial. Peter's as close as he can get. And he gets questioned three times about whether he knows Jesus, oh, you must, you must be a Galilean, says someone. He says, oh, I'm not Galilean. I'm not, don't even know the Jesus guy. Someone else, and then it gets down to like a 13 or 14-year-old girl, says to Peter, big, strong Peter. He's been swinging swords around earlier that evening. She says to Peter, come on, you, you must know the disciples. I saw you with them. You must know Jesus. I saw you with them. And he says, I didn't. I don't even even know this Jesus guy. And then suddenly he hears the rooster crow and he remembers that Jesus said he would deny him. Do you know the reality is, Peter died on Good Friday. Says he bursts into tears. Covered in shame, he just flees the scene. When Jesus died on Good Friday, so did Peter. So did big, strong Peter. Big, brave Peter. Big Peter who's going to hold on in, in human strength to the plans of God. Who's going to recognize God and he was going to pursue God. And even if everyone else left, he was never going to leave. But Peter died. Do you know our desire for power, our desire for strength needs to die on Good Friday? Do you know Peter's got to die on Good Friday? Yeah, otherwise, you're just going to be doing more and more remakes, more and more comebacks, more and more pulling yourself up off the canvas. I'm going to follow Jesus now, now that they're counting nine. I'm going to pick myself up again now, now that I've lost my job. I'm going to pick myself up again now, now that everything's yeah, and I'm just going to keep making comebacks. But you know, if there's, if there's anything that Rocky 15 is going to teach us, there comes a time when even, even Sylvester Stallone is too old for us to go to the movies and watch him fight. <laughs> 
You can't keep making comebacks. You can't keep pulling yourself off the canvas. You can't just keep holding it together. Peter has to die. And if, because if Peter can't deny himself, then Peter is always going to deny Christ ultimately. If you can't deny yourself, you will ultimately be put in a position where you deny Christ. You know, when, when Jesus died on Good Friday, quite literally, so did Judas. In Luke 23, verse 34, we see here this amazing statement from Jesus on the cross. Luke 23, verse 34. Um, Jesus says this from the cross. There was, you need to read the whole story, obviously, but Jesus says this. Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they do. And then the soldiers divided his garments and they cast lots for his robe. Do you know, if there's someone who did know what he was doing, it was Judas. Jesus is on the cross and he makes a few key statements and this is one of the key ones. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Judas, let's be fair, is a pretty interesting character. And in Mark chapter 14, we read the story of, uh, of Jesus is in a, in a person's house. And it's a person he'd been, who had been healed of leprosy. And they're all, a bunch of them are gathered. And a woman comes in to the room, a, a, a woman again who's been forgiven by Jesus of his sins. And uh, she comes into the room and, and she breaks a jar of perfume. And it's a famous story in the gospel. She breaks this jar of perfume and then she pours it upon Jesus. It's just literally a couple of days before his arrest and crucifixion. She pours this expensive perfume. They, they say a, a year of her wages would have been saved up to buy this perfume. She breaks the, the pottery container and pours out the perfume on Jesus to anoint him. And it says that the fragrance of the, of the perfume, like worship, fills out the whole house. And, and it's like this really dramatic moment of worship. And a bunch of people become really critical because they were like, man, that perfume could have been sold and the money could have been given to the poor. One of the Gospels record that it was actually Judas who made that criticism. Judas makes this criticism of, uh, you know, that, that money could have been used for this good purpose or that money could have been used for that good purpose. What a waste in worship of Jesus. And Jesus says, well, the poor you'll always have with you. You can look after the poor. But this woman's decided to give what she, all she can in worship. And they say that Jesus would have still smelt of that perfume on the cross some days later. as, as this beautiful act of worship in the middle of the story. And the, the Gospels record that G, Judas didn't say that because he cared about the poor. But in fact, Judas was in charge of the money. And Jesus' ministry was pretty massive. There's 12 guys following, thousands of followers, and people contributing to his ministry. And, and Judas was like, I guess, like the treasurer, but it was a bit more, it wasn't like he wasn't using zero. He just had a bag of money. And when they would collect money, the money would be given to Judas. And so Judas' idea was, obviously, you know, if that perfume could have been sold and the money given to the poor, and the poor person he was referring to was poor old Judas. I don't know if you consider yourself poor. It's one of the perversities of the modern world is that those of us who live in New Zealand still think we're poor. 
And don't get me wrong, within New, within New Zealand, there are those people, there are people within New Zealand who have massive deprivation. But for most of us, we're not the poor on a global sense. But Judas had this poverty idea that he was someone who needed money. It says in the story, in the Gospels, that he was taking from the money bag for his own use. He was robbing from the ministry of Jesus. And the funny thing is when you see yourself as always the person in need, always needing more security, always needing some more money behind you, always needing something more, when, you, when you're the person who's the, the person in greatest need, when you see your needs as more important than everyone else's needs, when you see your lack as more important than everyone else's lack, you ultimately can be led to betrayal. Because with this moment of worship where this woman makes this expensive offering to Jesus, that's the moment when Judas decides to betray Jesus, looking for a way to betray him. He meets with the high priest, the, the temple leaders, and for 20 or 30 pieces of silver, he sells out Jesus. He leads them, the, the temple guards and the, and the police, he leads them to Jesus on the, on the Good Friday night when Jesus is praying. And the challenge for us is that on Good Friday, Judas has to die. Judas doesn't have to die like he did in the story. In Matthew 27, 5, we read that Jesus, Judas was filled with regret and with remorse. He suddenly realizes the huge nature of his sin. He takes the money and he throws it into the temple, throws it to the high priests. And he dies just disappears, and, and the story is tragic enough that it says that he just goes out and hang, hangs himself. Do you know, the funny thing about Judas is that he's not so different to you and me. It would be so much better if Judas was like that Leonardo da Vinci painting where he was particularly ugly and particularly weird. You know, if you look at the, the Last Supper, you've got all the... They all look normal, and then there's this one particularly nasty-looking character who's Judas. Except when you know that Leonardo da Vinci self-portrated himself as the Judas face. And I think we miss the point of the gospel if we think we're always the heroes. But we are like Peter. We are always relying on our own strength. And we are like Judas. We're always robbing from what God, what's God's to try and fill a gap inside ourselves. We're always constantly looking for security. We're always constantly looking for ways to position ourselves, to keep ourselves strong. And the problem is if we, if we don't die on Good Friday, we don't rise on Sunday morning. If we don't, if we don't let go of our strength, if we don't, if we don't let go of our our poverty mentality, and I don't mean that with regard to money. I mean that in regard we we maintain a misery outlook. Oh, how you doing? Oh, pretty busy. How you going? Oh, we're flat out. Oh, how you going? Oh, work's real stressful. Now it might be all that, but are we? But are we focusing in on our own needs? Because if we focus on our own needs and if our own needs consume us, we'll betray Jesus for our own needs. Do you know, um, when Jesus died on Good Friday, Mary died too. John 19.30, and Jesus is offered this uh, mixture of sour wine. It's like when they're on the cross and all that pain, they would give them this, 
this wine mixture and, and they, they offered it up to him and he, he drinks a little bit of the wine. Uh, it's like, it would have been, but it sounds like, from what I've read, it sounds more like vinegar. And they offered it up and he drinks this bitter drink and, and he just calls out from the cross and he says, it is finished. And that's the moment that he dies. He calls out, it's finished. And he lowers his head and dies. And I don't know if you've ever thought about it. You know, we talk about Mary a lot. And she's a pretty phenomenal person in the Bible. I don't think anyone has suffered for Jesus like Mary suffered for Jesus. She suffered for Jesus Long before Jesus was born, she suffered the shame of social, being a social outcast in a small town where everyone was talking. She suffered for Jesus through childbirth in a manger. Without her mom or without the local midwives, she's in a faraway town. The only person helping was Joseph, which means that no one was helping. I don't know, she's a teenage girl giving birth to her first child away from her mum and her aunties and the midwives in a, in, in a manger in a foreign house in another town. That's, that is suffering for Jesus. And in that moment of suffering, we know that when the angel first meets, G, meets Mary, Mary's initial and first response is, whatever the plan of God is, let it happen in me. God's plan enters the world through this, this surrendered heart, this Mary, this, this teenage girl. And Mary, at the moment of Jesus' birth, she hears the, 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 she hears the story, the, meets the shepherds, and they tell the story about the angels singing. And she meets these, these wise men, the magi from the east, and they present these gifts, gold, frankincense, myrrh. She's, Mary's there, and she hears all those stories, and um, she's met the angel, Gabriel. She, she hear, meets these shepherds. She meets the magi. She hears their stories. She t- they take Jesus as a seven-year-old to the temple to be dedicated. And Simeon prophesies, and, and Anna prophesies over this baby child. This is the Messiah. This is the promised one. This is God's plan. And I don't know about you, but that would help. An angel appearing, that helps when you're facing a challenge and you're suffering for the plan of Jesus. You know, shepherds wandering in and telling you about the, 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 the prophecies. They've heard the angels singing, right? And visitors from the east with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That's going to help you believe. Oh, I'm, I'm believing, right? How many people know that if you bring the baby to the temple and these, these, these famous ancient prophets, Simeon and Anna, they've been in the temple waiting for years to prophesy over this baby. They prophesy over your baby and it confirms what you already know and what you've heard from the shepherds and the magi. How many of that would help, right? But how many know it's a long time, 33 years later, Yeah, you've seen Jesus do miracles, and that would help. And then Jesus has said confusing things, like you're not his mother. And, he, and you've, you've heard about the feeding of 5,000, but you also heard that he told everyone that they needed to eat his body and drink his blood. Right? So in Luke chapter 2, 19, it says that, or it says, Luke chapter 2, it says that Mary heard all these promises of God, and she treasured them in her heart. She thought about them often. And I just think about Mary when I think about this moment where Jesus is on the cross and 
He cries out, it is finished. Do you know for Mary, on Good Friday, it was finished. The thing we don't understand on Good Friday from our perspective is we look at Good Friday through Easter Sunday. But Mary lived Good Friday just in Good Friday. But luckily for us, we have our own Good Fridays. Luckily for us, we get to experience death. Oh, yeah. Do you ever wonder what death is like? I have a list of things I think death is like. It's probably not exhaustive, but death is cold. Have you ever had things go cold? The trail can run cold. Feelings can run cold. Our hearts grow cold. Other people's hearts grow cold. Death is dark. Isn't it funny what dark does? Have you ever been out in the dark or lost in the dark? It's pretty amazing when the sun comes up. Death is silent and death is still. Do you know, if you know what the cold and the dark and the silence and the stillness is like, then you know what Good Friday was like for Peter and for Judas and for Mary. When hopes are smashed, where personal securities are broken, where personal identity disappears. We go from being Jesus' powerful right-hand guy. We go from being someone, oh, as long as I'm with Jesus, I can make the money work. We go from having things treasured into our heart to having our hearts broken. If you know what it's like to have your heart broken, if you know what it's like for the count to get right through to 10 and the comeback never came, then you know what Good Friday is about. But the reality is unless we know what death's like, we can never experience resurrection life. If we never actually let things die in our heart, if we never actually let go of our own strengths, if we never actually let go of our own desire, I've got to make things work on my own. I've got to make security happen. You know, when Jesus comes to meet so many of us, we begin to follow him without realizing that one of the central aspects of following Jesus is that we have to pick up our own cross and we have to deny ourselves. It's that denying yourselves is not quite the same thing as getting up early to go to church on Sunday morning. It's saying, I'm not going to respond out of my own humanity. I'm going to deny my natural human urges and desires. I'm going to allow, as circumstance crucifies those human emotions and those human plans and those human systems in our own, our own heart, I'm going to allow the grace of God to bring a resurrection life to me. When Jesus rose again on Sunday morning, Peter didn't. We know that Judas didn't. We know that Mary still believed. You know, Luke chapter 24, 5, you know, Mary and some others are going to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body for burial. 
And they get there and the tomb's empty and an angel speaks to them. The angel says this to them, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Do you know this morning, I wonder what it would look like for you to let go of your comeback. I wonder what it would look like for you to identify that part in your heart that has died. Has, has vision died? Has hope died? Do you know what I think? Too often it's like weekend at Bernie's. And really our passion for Jesus has died, but we carry it around propped up. Come on, it's pretty hard to follow Jesus. You've got to deny yourself. Paul said this, that I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that lives, but it's Christ who lives within me. John, Resurrection Sunday morning, Peter didn't rise. And on Resurrection Sunday morning, do you know what it's not about? It's not about you being more powerful. It's not about you rising up in great strength. It's actually about the resurrection life of Christ being manifest in your weakness, in your struggle, in your difficulty. In the death that is human existence, can resurrection life rise up? I don't know if it's a bit too philosophical for you. Maybe I need to spend more time thinking on this. But the reality is, today... What's died? What's dead? Don't, let's not resurrect it. Let's not stir up religious fervor, stamp our feet. But could we actually, in, in the grace of God, in the, in the humility of our hearts, just open our heart to God and say, Lord, would you, would you allow your resurrection life to impact me, to come into my heart, to fill me again? When you close your eyes, bow your heads, and let's pray. Just as Wakash is playing, Maybe you want to open your hands or definitely please open your heart to God. I'd encourage you to pray. Just pray your own prayer. Maybe think some thoughts. Holy Spirit, I just pray for each and every person here right now. Lord, I pray for the the Peters who are so used to pulling themselves together, so used to rising up and being strong. Lord, I pray this Resurrection Sunday morning they'd leave Peter on the canvas and Lord, that you'd rise up within them, that your life would rise up within them, your strength would rise up within them. For for the Judases among us, Lord God, and those of us who are constantly worried, constantly insecure, constantly feeling empty, feeling needy, feeling broken. Lord God, I pray that, Lord, that, that Judas would just die, Lord God, in our hearts this morning and that your life, Lord God, your strength, Lord, your provision, your all sufficiency, Lord God, would you fill us, Lord, with your grace. And Lord, for those of us who've been treasuring in our heart hopes that have been dashed, Dreams that have been dashed. Lord God, would your plan, Lord, would that arise in our heart? Lord, this morning, would we be recreated in Christ Jesus to do the good things you've called us to do? Lord, not recreated in our own strength to do what we desire, but recreated 
in you. Just as you have your heads bowed and your eyes closed, perhaps you're here and you've, maybe you've not heard this Jesus story. A simple story of God Himself coming in human form and dying in our place. It's why we remember at Easter that He died. A painful death to pay penalty for our sins. A penalty that we could never pay. He received our penalty and, and we get to receive In substitution, we receive the righteousness of Christ, the righteousness of God. And God showers His love upon us instead of judgment. This morning, if you've never made a decision to align your life with Christ, to connect your life to Him, to respond to Him, I'd love to pray with you this morning and lead you in a prayer where you can acknowledge Jesus as Savior, asking Him to forgive your sins. You can acknowledge Him as your Lord, choosing to follow Him. If you're in either one of those categories this morning, maybe for the very first time you want to acknowledge Jesus, or perhaps you've done this in the past, but you know that you need to recommit and rededicate your life to Him. Just while everyone else has their heads bowed and eyes closed, why don't you just look up, catch my eye, give me a wave and say, yeah, that's me this morning. I want to acknowledge Jesus. I want to dedicate my life to Him. If that's you, I'm looking around and just once I've seen your hand, you can put it back down. I don't want to embarrass anyone. I just want to know who's praying the prayer so that as we pray together, I can believe for you as you reach out in faith as well. Either for the first time or as a recommitment, a rededication of your life. Maybe just catch my eye, lift your hand, and then we'll pray. I haven't seen anybody's hand, so we're going to move on and pray. Could we stand together as we pray to close our service? And I want to, I want to be honest, the sermon made more sense in my head than as I was saying it. But I think there's something powerful in this idea of death and resurrection. Man, unless we die, unless we die to our sin, we'll always be living out a human existence. And Resurrection Sunday, that's this morning, is not a reminder just of, of, a, of a Christian festival on an annual basis, but it's a reminder of the fact that we should be living in the resurrection life of Christ every moment of every day. That's where we're supposed to live. But the only way we get to live in resurrection life is if we deny ourselves. Jesus said that if we hold on to our life, we'll lose it. But if we lose our life for His sake, then we find life. This morning, I just wonder where you're holding on. Where are you holding on to your life? Is it an area of sin in your life that you're holding on to? Well, this is just what I'm like. I'm an angry person. Or this is just what I'm like. I make these mistakes. Where are you holding on somewhere in your life where you just need to let it go? Some of you are holding on to an identity that you don't need to hold on to anymore. You don't need to be a depressed person or a worrying person. You can let go of some of that. You can let that person die and allow the resurrection life of Christ to well out within you. Why don't you lift your hands across the room and let me pray for you just before we go and enjoy our Easter eggs. Holy Spirit, we just thank you that you're here. Right now, right across this room, I pray that you'd seal your word in our hearts. Lord, that we could say like Paul, that it's no longer I that live, but it's Christ who lives within me. Maybe just identify that person who needs to die. Maybe it's Peter. Maybe it's Judas. Maybe it's Mary who's died. And just let them go. 
Maybe just let go of some of those dreams and hopes that have been broken and allow the new life of Christ to replace them. Maybe let go of your own strength. Let go of your own desire for security and allow the life of Christ to fill you. In Jesus' name, I pray your blessing on your people. Lord, we pray that you'd use us this week in in your city, Lord, that you'd use us to transform our world. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody said, Amen.